Galatians chapter 11. So, typically, I like to use a lot of scripture in my messages, and um, the easiest way that I've found to do that is uh, to, I've got an app on my phone called Docs, and I just put all the scripture on there, and then I just kind of scroll. That's why you always see me up here with my phone. And about halfway to church this morning, I realized I forgot my phone. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I had a lot of scripture. This I had so much. I said, we're going to be here all day, me trying to flip through my Bible. So my wife threw and put a, bunch, put a bunch of tabs on there. So, so hopefully it'll, it'll help us out a little bit this morning uh, as we get through this. So bear with me. I'm, but here we are in Revelation chapter 11. So we are halfway through the study of Revelation. 22 chapters, we're halfway through the study. It's taken us about eight months to get here. So if we keep on track, uh, we still it'll take us about a year and a half to get through the book of Revelation, which is actually better than I thought it would be uh, when I first started Revelations. And so because we are about halfway through, I thought it would be a good time just to kind of do a, a, a review of some of the things that we've looked at over the past eight months. Um, just kind of a, a quick highlight, a skim over the top. So it all started out with Revelations 1.1, which tells us what these 22 chapters are about. And that is the revelation or the apocalypsis, we get the word apocalypse, of Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. That's what revelation is from chapter 1 to chapter 22 is the revelation of Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ. The Gospels taught us about his first coming. Revelation teaches us about his second coming. And so it is the apocalypse or the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so John was told that he was to write what he saw. The Lord spoke to him and said, I need you to write down the things that you saw and to get these letters out to the churches. He was supposed to give these letters to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so as he was standing there and he prepared, he had a vision. The first thing he saw was seven lampstands, which represented the seven churches. And then he saw within the hand, in the right hand of God Almighty, was seven stars, which were the pastors or the leaders of these seven churches. In the right hand, which tells us that God gives those pastors the power to pastor. It is through the power of God that the churches function. So then we began to look at the churches. The first church we looked at was Ephesus. Ephesus had left her first love. Now Smyrna was only one of two churches that received uh, no criticism from the Lord, but she was the suffering church. Pergamos was the worldly church. Thyatira was the church that tolerated sin. Sardis was the dead church. Philadelphia was the other church that received no criticism, and she was the faithful church. And then finally we had Laodicea. Laodicea was the church that made the Lord sick. They were lukewarm. 
Now, in chapter 4, John left his little island. And if you remember, John was on the Isle of Patmos. He is, he is there as a prisoner because of his testimony, because of preaching the gospel. He, he had been a, pet, a, a prisoner upon this island. And so he leaves this island into a, a vision in heaven. And when he got to heaven, the first thing he saw was a throne. And one that sat upon the throne was like jasper and sardine stones. And there was a orange, or an orange, a green uh, a rainbow that was around the throne. And then he saw 24 elders who sat upon 24 seats. They all wore white, and they all wore the Stephanos, or the victor's crown. There was lightnings and thunders. And it was at this time, the first time that we were introduced to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He then saw a sea of glass. He saw four angels. One was like a lion. One had the face like a calf. The third, the face of a man, and the fourth was like an eagle. They had six wings, and they were covered with eyes. In chapter 5, he saw a scroll in the hand of God. This scroll had seven seals, and no one was worthy to break the seals. If you remember, John began to weep uncontrollably until one of the elders reached down and told him to stop weeping. And he said, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And when John turned and he looked and he lurked in the presence of all that he had just been looking at, he saw a lamb, a lamb that looked as if it had been slain. It had seven horns, which speaks of its perfect power, its omnipotence. He had seven eyes, which speaks of his omniscience, his perfect knowledge. And then once again, the seven spirits, which speaks of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There was a lot of worship that goes on. We've seen many times that they have broke out in worship as we continue to study. In chapter 6, the lamb began to break the seals. The first seal was a white horse and a rider with a bow, which had no arrows. He also wore the Stephanos, or the, the victor's crown. We know that this is false peace. The second seal was the red horse, a rider who took the peace from the earth, or war. He had a sword. The third seal was broken, and the black horse, or famine, and his rider was held a balance and ration, for rationing in his hands. And then the fourth seal released a pale horse, or a green horse, which was death. His rider was death, and grave, the grave followed with him. 
And he was allowed to kill one-fourth of the earth's population with war, famine, plagues, and creatures. And we, we discussed those creatures were probably speaking of rats that seemed to follow around death and famine. Now, we were talking about this Wednesday night, and I was asked if I thought that the four horsemen took place in the first three and a half years. And I do. I believe that the, the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse... saying we we have somewhat of a chronological order as the seals are broken one seal then the next seal then the next seal and then the next seal and then it falls into the trumpets and then from that it goes into the bowls now and then as I said at the three and a half year the treaty will be broken between the Antichrist and Israel, or halfway through the tribulation, that treaty will be broken. Now, the, as I said, the seven years is called the tribulation, but the last three and a half years is called what? The great tribulation. And so there's a distinction between the tribulation that happens in the beginning, and then at the, at the halfway point, it becomes the great tribulation when all hell is, is poured out upon Israel and upon all of those uh, who are upon the earth. Now, the fifth seal was opened, and we saw the tribulation saints who were under the throne, who, who, were, who were praying and, and crying out for justice to be poured out because they were martyrs. The sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black. The moon became like blood. Stars fell to the earth. The heavens rolled up like a scroll. And it says that every mountain was moved out of its place because of great earthquakes. And it says the men that were left upon the earth cried for the mountains to fall upon them because of the wrath of God. In chapter 7, we were introduced to the 144,000 Jewish evangelists who began to preach the gospel throughout the world. They were A seal was placed upon them by God that no man could touch them. There was 12,000 from each tribe and then we see more tribulation saints that throw, show up before the throne. 
in chapter 8, the seventh seal is opened and there was silence. If you remember, for 30 minutes there was silence in heaven. And then with the seven, within the seventh seal, we have the seven trumpets. And the angel stepped forward, picked up a golden censer that was full of the prayers of the saints, and he cast it to the earth. And when it hit the earth, it says that there were thunders and lightnings and earthquakes upon the earth. And then the first trumpet sounded, and hail and fire mingled with blood began to pummel the earth. One-third of the trees were burnt up, and all of the grass was destroyed. And then the second trumpet sounded, and a huge mountain-like meteor landed into the sea, and one-third of the sea was destroyed one-third of the creatures that were in the sea were destroyed. One-third of the ships that were in the seas were destroyed. One of the things we talked about is how God was very, very precise in his judgment. One-third, 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 one-third. We see over and over again that God draws a line and says, My judgment will go this far and no farther. And then the third trumpet sounded, and an asteroid enters the Earth's atmosphere and breaks up and begins to fall upon all the fresh water upon the Earth. And one-third of the fresh water was poisoned, and many people perished because of the poisonous water. And this star was called Wormwood. The fourth trumpet sounds. One-third of the sun goes out. And with that, one-third of the moon and one-third of the stars disappear from sight. And then an angel. I was thinking the other day, we always talk about the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. But in the middle of this, we see three woes that are introduced. And here, an angel announces that there are three woes to come. Almost like a bonus. You get a bonus, three woes, to go with all your sevens. In chapter 9, the fifth trumpet is sounded, and Satan is given the key to the bottomless shaft he has opened this shaft upon the earth. When he opens the pits, the demons are released out of these pits. They are locust-like demons, like war horses, with faces like men's, crowns upon their head. They had hair like women, teeth like lions, breastplates like iron. And their wings, when they moved, was very loud, like the sound of many chariots going to war. They had tails like scorpions. 
But once again, God put limitations upon them and says, you are not to kill anybody. But for five months, for five months, they tormented the men upon this earth. Tormented them. Men desired to die. It says they would try to kill themselves and they would not be able to finish the job. No one would perish for those five months. But they were tormented nonstop by these billions and billions of demons that came up out of this abyss. And then the sixth trumpet sounds. And four more demons are released from the river Euphrates. And these demons were the leader of a 200 million demon army that would flood the earth. And they rode upon horse-like creatures. They had on breastplates of fire and jacinth and brimstone. They had heads like lions. And they would breathe smoke and fire and brimstone. As they went about the earth, their tails were like serpents with heads. And unlike the demons we've seen previously, these demons were sent out to kill. And it says that they would kill one-third of the remaining population upon the earth. One-third. And then it says, and yet nobody repented. Nobody repented of their sin, but they continued to murder and to do drugs and to have all kinds of sexual perversion and theft. Nothing changed them. And then in chapter 10, we had a break. God gave us a respite from all of the chaos and all of the judgment that we've seen poured out upon the earth. And in chapter 10, an angel came down. It said he was clothed with clouds with a rainbow upon his head. It said his face shone like the sun and his feet was like fire. And in his hand, he had an open scroll. The scroll that we had seen in the beginning, the scroll that, that the lamb has been opening. All of the seals have been opened now. And now we see this angel with the scroll. And he puts one foot upon the land and he puts one foot upon the scene, upon the sea, which tells us that God owns it all. He has claimed it all. And John began to write as the thunders began to speak, the seven thunders began to speak. John began to write and God said, stop writing. Don't write down what the thunder say. Seal up what you have and don't write anything else down that they say. And then John was told to take that scroll and to eat it. He said it would be sweet to the taste, but bitter to the stomach. And so John took the scroll as he was told to. And he ate it, and just as he said, it was sweet to the taste, but bitter to the stomach. Sweet because of the promises of God. Because the word of Jehovah is sweet with promises and covenants. His healing and salvation, the heaven and the new earth, sweet 
but bitter because of the judgments in hell. Judgments in hell that awaits our friends, our family, our co-workers, our neighbors. Bitter because we know the judgment that will be poured out upon those who do not believe. All those who have rejected Jesus. And so now we're caught up to where we're at. We're still in this respite before the seventh trumpet is blown. How exciting is it that God takes this time, this time of respite, to remind us that God never stops trying to reach every last person. He never stops trying right to the very end. First, we have all of the tribulation saints, who, who, who the Gentiles who began to preach and to give their testimony to all of the world. We have the 144,000 Jewish evangelists who go all over the world preaching the gospel. We have a supernatural eagle that flies around preaching the gospel. And we will be introduced in this section to the two witnesses that the whole earth will see and will hear the gospel from them. So let's look at Revelations chapter 11 and verse 1. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot for forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut up heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plague as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and the kindreds and the tongues and the nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer that their bodies will be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. 
And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from the God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. In the same hour was there a great earthquake, and a tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnants were affrighted, and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. So these are the men. These men are so interesting, so fascinating. And I want to dedicate a whole message to them. So we're not going to get to those witnesses this week, but next week. Who do you think they are? A lot of thoughts, a lot of different ideas of who they'll be. And next week we'll talk about that. But first we have this strange little two-verse part right here that we're going to try to unwrap for us this morning. Verse 1 and 2, it says, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Forty and two months, that's three and a half years. So he was given a reed like unto a rod. Now, this is a reed like plant that grows in the Jordan Valley. These plants would grow somewhere between 10 to 15. They would be kind of like bamboo. They are hollow in the middle, they're very light, but they're rigid. And so they had many uses for them. Some used them actually for walking sticks. They could be whittled down, and they could be used as a pen. We see that in 3 John chapter 13. But it had many uses. But here what we see is it was used as a measuring rod, like a, like a, uh, a yardstick. They would be cut out into certain lengths, and he was handed this rod, and he was told to measure the temple. That was unique the way he was told to measure the temple. He said, you need to, re to measure the temple and the outer court and the people, but not to measure the court of the Gentiles. Now, within the temple, you had the Holy of Holies, which only the high priest was allowed to go in and only once a year. And then you had the holy place, which the priests were allowed to go into. And then you had the outer court where the brazen altar was, where they would sacrifice the animals. And that's where the people would gather, the Jewish people would gather to worship God. Now the Gentiles were allowed to come into the outer court, the Gentile court. But if they were caught inside of the temple, they were put to death. The Romans had given the Jewish people permission that if they caught a Gentile inside of any of those areas, that the, the Gentiles would be put to death. So this was uh, a very important. And so John is now told to measure the temple of God. Um, 
Now, many of you know this, but, but there are a lot that, that don't realize this right now. And this is what makes this command so strange. There has not been a temple in Jerusalem since 70 A.D. There is not a temple there now. When John was given this vision, the temple had been destroyed for 25 years. And so now he's given this command, he sees this vision, and there's a temple, and God tells him to go and to measure the temple. Now, there are two reasons that God measures out. We've already talked about one of them. The first time, the first reason he measures out is he sets boundaries of destruction. We see that in 2 Samuel 8, 2, 2 Kings 21, 13, Isaiah 28, 17, Lamentations 12, 8. He measures out those areas to be uh, uh, judged for destruction. But here God is measuring out for a different reason. Here we say God measuring off his possession. He is claiming this as his. The temple of God and those that are in the temple of God and those that are in the temple of God would have been the Jews that were serving inside of the temple. So he said to measure the holy of the holies, the the holy place and the brazen altar. Now, this must have been very encouraging for John to see this, to see this temple. Now, according to Scripture, we are told that there are five different temples that will be built throughout history. Five different temples. First, we had Solomon. He was the original temple that was built. Then we had Zerubbabel, who built the second one. Herod built the third We will see the third one will be built during the tribulation. The fourth, I'm sorry, the fourth one will be built during the tribulation. And then Jesus himself will build one during the millennium. So there are five total temples that will be built throughout history. Now, the First Testament or the Old Testament prophesies the building of these new temples many times Throughout Scripture. Now let's see how her little tabs work here. First we have Amos. I see you there. Amos chapter 9 and verse 11. And it says this. In that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David. And wall up its breaches. It says, I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Micah 4.1 says this. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Zechariah 6.12. 12 and 13 says, Then say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, a man whose name is Branch, that's speaking of the Messiah, 
for he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. This is speaking of the millennial temple. Thus he will be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will be between the two offices. And then Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48 speak about a glorious temple that will be built and will be put up. And so we see throughout the Old Testament, the First Testament, that it talks about many times about the new temples that will be built. Now, Daniel chapter 9, and we see verses 26 through 27, and it says, then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with many for one week. That's speaking of the Antichrist. Uh, towards the Jews. He will make a covenant with them for seven years, one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to the sacrifices and grain offerings. And in order for there to be sacrifices and grain offerings, there has to be a temple. And it says that, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So in order for, as I said, in order for those sacrifices to be there, there must be a temple at that time. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 11 says this. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Matthew chapter 24, verse 16 and 17. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in the house, whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and who, those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight is not in the winter or on the Sabbath. I'm sorry, verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is spoken of through Daniel and the prophets standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. So he tells him, he says, listen, when the abomination, when the when, when the Antichrist steps into the temple and he declares himself to be God, when he stops the sacrifices, when he stops the grain offerings, and he says, I am God, you will worship me. The abomination of desolation. He tells the Jews, he said, listen, when that happens, don't come off the roof and go in the house and pack your bags. He says, get out of there. Leave. Go to the mountains. <coughs> And pray that it isn't on the Sabbath. And then finally, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4 says this. 
Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God, speaking of the Antichrist. And listen, the Jews want their temple more than anything. It's their dream. It's their passion. It's their hope. They want their temple. And they want it on Mount Moriah. But there's a problem with Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is now occupied by the Muslims' second most holy place, which is called the Dome of the Rock. Now, there have been... Over time, some overzealous Jews who have tried to sneak in and to blow up the Dome of the Rock so that the temple could be built. The problem is that this would cause jihad. Every Muslim from all over the world would then ascend upon Jerusalem and there would be a war like we've never seen. So they all tiptoe around the Dome of the Rock, afraid. Israel is seen by the Muslims as being descendants of, of monkeys and pigs. Now you, you are an infidel. How bad do they want the temple? Now I find this very interesting. How bad do they... They have already have everything made that goes inside of the temple. Everything is already made. All they need is a place to put it. And they keep it in a place called the Temple Institute. Have you ever been in the Temple Institute, Frank? Amazing. You can actually go online. I've never been there personally, but you can go online and you can type in the Temple Institute in Jerusalem and it'll pull up their web page. And you can get it all in English and that you can go through and look. They have all of these things built and prepared for the temple. They're just waiting for the temple. Take off, Frank. <laughs> so as, as we look at this, and, and you begin to wonder, how in the world could this ever happen? And, and I shared this once before, and I found this very interesting. I don't know if this is the way it is, but there are some of those who, who believe that they are off a little bit on their measurements where the original temple was. Some believe that it is at, at the place called the, the, the Dome of the Spirit. Um, and I'm going to read that to you. I, it was in one of my earlier messages. And as I said, I found this very interesting. And it says this, One of the, the greatest accomplishments of the Antichrist will be a covenant with Israel for peace. And he will assist in the building of the new temple in Jerusalem, reinstituting the sacrificial system. That is what they want. 
but they're so concerned that it would trigger a holy war that they haven't done it. For years, there has been a push to rebuild the temple. In 1986, there was a call to rebuild the temple. Now, the thing is, there's enough room upon the Temple Mount to have both the Muslims and the Jews up there, but they both want to be up on the same place, the Dome of the Rock. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. There was a group of scientists who believed that the Salamic Temple was actually 322 feet north of the Dome of the Rock. Instead, uh, it is under, they believe it is under the Dome of the Tablet or the Dome of the Spirits. And this is actually a higher spot than where the Dome of the Rock is. And so they believe that it's actually over at, at the Dome of the Spirit. If this is true, Israel could build the temple and they would only lose the outer court. That's the interesting part about it. If they were to build on this spot, the Dome of the Spirit, if that is actually spot, the only thing they would lose is the part that God is telling us in Revelations 1-2 not to measure. Don't measure that part because it's been given to the Gentiles. So all they would have to do is build a wall to separate the two worship sites. And then in, uh, see if I can find it here. Ezekiel chapter 42 and verse 20, listen to this. He measured it on the four sides. It had a wall all around, the length 500 and the width 500 to divide between the holy and the profane. So in Ezekiel chapter 42, it says, listen, they're going to build a wall around the temple to protect it and to divide it from what is holy and what is profane. Fascinating. If that's the way, I don't know. But I found that absolutely intriguing and I wanted to read that to you. Like I said, I know I already read that to you once, but I wanted to bring that back to you. So, they will reinstitute the sacrificial system. And this reinstitution of the sacrificial system will bring back to the foremind of the Jewish person that reminds them that they have sins that need to be sacrificed for. They will begin to think about the sins in their life. And their need for sacrifices. Now, during this time, now, now uh, obviously the, the temple would be built in the first three and a half years, and they would begin their sacrificial, uh, uh, their reinstitution of their sacrifices. And during this time is when the 144,000 Jews are preaching the gospel. During this time is when the Gentiles are, are preaching the gospel. During this time, the two witnesses will show up. During this time is when this, this eagle will begin to fly around and will begin to... So all of this is going on while they're making sacrifices at their new temple. And then right in the middle, right in the middle of it is when the Antichrist will step in and cause the abomination of desolation. And finally, 
the Jews will begin to put two and two together. The first with the second, the old with the new. They will begin to put everything together, and it will all start to make sense. They will finally realize that Yahshua is their Messiah. And then Romans chapter 11, verse 25 and 26 can come to pass, which says this. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And so all of Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. All of a sudden, it will all start to make sense. It will all come together. It will all. <coughs> so this is the timeline. <coughs> Excuse me, I got a tickle in my throat. <clears throat> so this is the timeline of the tribulation. Sometime during the first three and a half years, the Antichrist will make a peace treaty with Israel. As all hell is breaking loose and wars are all over the earth, he will make a peace treaty with Israel to protect them. And a part of this negotiation will be the building of the new temple. Israel will, will begin to, to make their sacrifices once again. One of the things I forgot to mention is, is that they, they already have priests that are trained to begin the sacrificial system once again, once, it, once it's, it's put into place. So they're ready for everything. They're ready for it to kick off. And so the, 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 but as the Jews as a whole begin to move closer to Jehovah, the Antichrist will get tired of it. He will get tired of all the attention that is given to God, and he will stop it right in the middle. He will put a stop to it. He will walk into the Holy of Holies at the midpoint, declare himself to be God, and you will worship me or you will die. Revelations 13, verse 14 and 15 says this. And he deceiveth those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it is given him to perform in the presence of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it is given to him to give breath to the image of the beast. So that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. You will worship the beast or you will die. Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 20, says this. Therefore, and we've we done read this once, but I'm going to cover it again. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. 
Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is in the housetop must go down to get those things out of their house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight be not in winter or on the Sabbath. And then finally, in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 6, it says this. Then the woman fled into the wilderness. The woman is Israel. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Anybody want to guess how long that is? Three and a half years. And so God says that when the abomination of desolation happened, that Israel will escape into the wilderness and God has prepared for them a place that he will protect them and he will supply for them. And Israel will finally get it. Zechariah, I got one more, Zechariah chapter 12. Verse, starting with verse 10, and it says this, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me, listen to this, so they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In that day there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning of Hadramon in the plain of Megiddo. The land will mourn every family by itself, the family of those of the house of David by itself, their wives by themselves, families of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shimeites by itself and their wives by themselves and all of the families that remain every family by itself and their wives by themselves in that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for the sin and for impurities have you ever thought about how impossible this is do you realize that from 70 A.D. until 1948, there was no Israel? There was no nation Israel. So, so when anybody was to read this scripture, anytime it mentioned Israel, they would have to read that and think of it spiritually because there was no Israel from 70 A.D. until 1948 where they become a nation once again. And then in 1967... During the Six-Day War, they once again took Jerusalem, their capital, back. But before that time, they were non-existent. Do you realize how impossible that is? That just doesn't happen. There is a cemetery between 195 and 200 countries that no longer exist. That just disappeared. 
for one reason or another, they disappeared as a nation, and they no longer exist, and they never will. Do you realize how it is impossible for Israel to be gone as a nation for almost 1,900 years? And you tell me God isn't involved in that. 19, almost 1,900 years, Israel was non-existent as a nation. And yet, here we are. Israel beat the odds. So, despite the crazy efforts of the Antichrist, God will measure off Israel. He will measure off to save them, to preserve them, and to protect them. Jehovah is not done with Israel yet. Please stand to your feet. And next week, we will look at these two amazing men, the two witnesses. Father, what a powerful time we have had this morning. And God, we are so thankful that you never, never forget your promises. God, you never change. You remember your covenant with Abraham. You remember your covenant with Isaac and Jacob. God, you remember your covenant with David. You never forget. God, when we forget, when all of Israel forgets, God, you never forget your promises and your covenants. And you will make them come to pass. God, we have seen the miracle of 1948 when Israel was declared once again a nation after 19 hundred years God you performed a miracle and God you will perform another miracle during the time of tribulation when all of Israel will realize who you are and they will weep as one weeps for a son for the one that they have pierced and God we thank you that because you never forget your promises and your covenants to Israel, that we can trust you to keep your promises and your covenants to us. Father, you said that for those of us who accept you, God, you will not lose a single one of us. And we stand upon that. And now, fathers, we leave this house. I pray that you go with your people today. Pray your blessings be poured out upon them. And Father God, I just pray for rest on this day and bring us all back once again, God, to receive from your word. And we ask all these things in Jesus' very precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a good afternoon.